Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail in for Mina Kim. Federal student loan relief is set to expire at the end of the year, burdening many who are already struggling amid the pandemic with another monthly payment to consider. President-elect Joe Biden has committed to canceling $10,000 in student debt for all borrowers. Other Democratic leaders such as Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren are calling for up to $50,000. On Tuesday, Senator Warren again advocated for debt cancellation at a Senate hearing with Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell. This is the single most effective economic stimulus that is available through executive action. We'll discuss the different proposals on the table and the growing demands to cancel student debt. That's next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in for Mina Kim. Come January, 42 million borrowers are set to resume making student loan payments that were put on hold as part of the Federal CARES Act relief package. And at a time when many are still unemployed or struggling to keep up with rent and bills as coronavirus cases continue to rise. Even prior to the pandemic, student loan debt was in crisis, ballooning to a record of nearly $1.6 trillion in debt as of this year, almost double the amount of debt in 2010, not to mention the disproportionate impact the crisis has had on students of color. Pressure is building on President-elect Joe Biden to take executive action to address the student debt crisis once in office. Here with me to talk through the the leading loan forgiveness proposals and what's at stake for those struggling with student debt is Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, reporter covering economics of education for The Washington Post. Welcome to Forum, Danielle Douglas-Gabriel. Thanks for having me. And also joining me is Ashley Harrington, federal advocacy director and senior policy counsel at the Center for Responsible Lending. Welcome to Forum, Ashley Harrington. Thank you. Glad to be here. But before we dive into our panel, I'd like to welcome Christian Hernandez, who is currently paying back loans he took out to attend ITT Technical Institute, a for-profit school that filed for bankruptcy and closed in 2016. Christian, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So ITT Tech is a school that has been the subject of lawsuits, some of which were successful in canceling student debt for many students on account of fraud, but not all. What's been your story with that situation? I'm part of the uh, bracket where I don't fit into the three-year post-school uh, graduation. And so uh, I've been trying to get that loan forgiven for the last two years, and I've been denied three times now <clears throat> through Fed loans and my private loan holder. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, as of this point, I'm still paying on those loans, even though that loan, that school has been bankrupt since 2016. So with payments on track to resume in January, how are you feeling about that? Like, has it been a difference to to have this relief during the pandemic so far? It has, yeah. Um, it's not completely uh, canceled out. I'm still accruing interest on a, on a lower percentage. But uh, coming January, I'm going to see that full um, interest rate go up. My payment's going to go back up. And I'm just looking forward to some sort of relief from the new administration, whether that's the full 10,000 or um, through executive order or some other method that uh, is being proposed right now. Because I know you shared with our producers that it's about 5% of your your take-home pay otherwise that that you're paying when loans are, are active, when the loan payments are active. Is that right? That's correct. And so, yeah, you mentioned that you are hoping um, for some form of relief. Um, what would be your ideal 
plan in your in your eyes that would help you feel just less anxious? I would like to see it uh, come into the House or be presented as a bill that is actually going to be voted on. And just knowing that that's there present uh, would be relief. Uh, but I would love to see uh, some sort of cancellation, um, whether it's not the whole thing, at least percentage or a compensation on what's already been paid off if I don't fit within the uh, requirements of getting uh, forgiven. And if there isn't action either by Congress or by um, the incoming president in time and these payments are resuming, just what's that What's that going to do in terms of just kind of your everyday life? It's a decision between paying the rent, um, purchasing higher quality uh, groceries or going down and, you know, getting the lower quality uh, things that I need on a daily and uh, paying these loans that no longer have any merit or are accredited mm-hmm. for. So um, it's tough. It's tough going into that uh, thought process. And, you know, I'm just hoping that something happens before then. Well, thank you for sharing your story and your thoughts with us, Christian Hernandez. Thank you for having me. Yes. And Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, does the concern we just heard from Gabriel resonate with some of the stories you're hearing in your reporting on this issue? Completely. Uh, There are a lot of people just like him who are really concerned about what uh, January will hold for them and then also about whether uh, President-elect Biden will be serious in his uh, his, his proposal of canceling at least some portion of federal student loan debt. Um, The prospects are pretty good. At this at this point, you know, I think as recent as last week, uh, President-elect Biden said that student debt cancellation is definitely a part of his recovery plan for the economy. Now, what that looks like is has not exactly been uh, sketched out in that in this at this point, as far as whether it's uh, through executive action or through uh, congressional action. Right. And Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren are pushing for executive action. Um, correct. Yeah. And what and really what are the plans that are in play at this point? So on the campaign trail, um, President-elect Biden had said that he would hope to cancel at least $10,000 worth of federal student loan debt as a part of an economic relief plan. Now, there are authorities in play that many people believe that he could use uh, through executive action in order to bring that to fruition, kind of like a disaster relief effort in that respect. He had also said that he would like to cancel $10,000 of debt for people who uh, make under $125,000 a year, attended a public college or university or historically black uh, institution or minority serving institution. That would take congressional action. Uh, what is has been a bit of a debate for among the, the camp that believes in debt cancellation is the amount, uh, among other things. But certainly while Vice um, President-elect Biden has said 10000 uh, Senator Schumer and Warren have asked for at least $50,000 of debt with the understanding that for a lot of people who went to grad school, the uh, the amounts are much higher and that graduate education has taken on kind of a racial inequality uh, aspect to it because there are a lot of black and brown students who feel that they need to get a graduate degree in order to be competitive with their white counterparts who have just a bachelor's. Right. And Ashley Harrington, uh, that does bring up that, you know, we've seen with COVID-19 have its disproportionate impacts on black and brown people and the same with the impact of student loan debt having this disproportionate impact women as well. Can you can you speak some more about that issue? Absolutely. Um, I think it's just always important to remember, I like to say that, you know, the student debt crisis, particularly for for black borrowers and for other borrowers of color, um, is really, um, you know, the product of the racial wealth gap and it's exacerbating at the same time. You know, there is a reason why black borrowers have to borrow more um, are more likely to borrow and to struggle more in repayment. It's because this is, uh, 
you know, centuries and decades of inequities have built on top of each other um, from exclusion, um, from home ownership opportunities, from other higher ed funding opportunities, from things like that. And the fact that they have to now borrow more, the fact that the Great Recession impacted black and brown communities more than it impacted other communities and that they have yet to recover. These communities lost a trillion dollars of wealth um, after the Great Recession and they never recovered from that. And so all of this compounds on top of each other to get to a place where it's an untenable situation for a lot of people, but it is it is absolutely um, really unsustainable and at crisis levels for black borrowers um, who are defaulting, even even black graduates are defaulting more than white non-completers. And we should all be concerned about that. Um, we should really be concerned about how this is just the newest example of how racial inequities and systemic disparities continue to play out in this country because we don't do anything about the root causes. And when these payments res- are set to resume in January, it's not just for its payments. It's those that are also that may be getting wages garnished, right, if they're in default. Um, Danielle Douglas, Gabriel, just what are the logistics of what's going on here? Because it sounds like from your reporting that it's going to be, if they do resume, if there isn't another relief package that come through, that it's going to be pretty complicated on all sides. Certainly. And there is some good news, but it, you know, it's, it's very cautious uh, in in being too optimistic about this, but I'm hearing from um, student loan servicing companies this week uh, that they've received notice from the department to kind of hold off on issuing notices. Now that would give them a bit more leeway in restarting the system until at least probably February. If that were the case, then the Biden administration could use executive action to extend the moratorium. Now, the Department of Education will not confirm that. People within the department are telling me that that is that is correct. But I, you know, I don't want to get people's hopes up too soon until they're willing to at least give some confirmation. And certainly, the president-elect has not said for certain whether he'd use executive action to uh, extend the moratorium. But if that were not to happen, now there are people who for whom they may not see their payments um, go back into effect until the end of the, the year. Uh, I mean, until the end of the, the month of January. And it could possibly kick right back into another moratorium if it was extended through executive action. But there are a lot of folks who were facing wage garnishment uh, before this order was put into place in, in March and for whom they were having actually their wages garnished. And many of them continued to have their wages garnished through these months because the system is so antiquated in the way that it functions that it was very difficult from the department's own words for them to be able to completely stop it. As of, I think, November 12th, there were still at least 15 people who were having their wages garnished by the education department nine months after the moratorium was put into place. All that to say that it would be exceedingly confusing and very harmful for folks who are facing wage garnishment to face that yet again, even if for a few weeks, the possibility of that being able to stop on a dime is just, and turn on a dime, it's just, it's just very difficult to see that happening. We're talking about student loan debt crisis with Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, reporter covering economics of education for The Washington Post, and Ashley Harrington, federal advocacy director and senior policy counsel at the Center for Responsible Lending. And you, our listeners, have you or are you struggling with student loans? How are you feeling about student loan relief potentially ending in January? And do you think the government should cancel some or all student debt? Why or why not? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more of our conversation after the break. I'm Ariana Prail. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail and Fermina Kim. We're talking about the student debt crisis, the added burden of this debt during the pandemic, and calls from some lawmakers to cancel it. We've been talking with Daniel Douglas Gabriel of The Washington Post and Ashley Harrington of the Center for Responsible Lending. And joining me now is Cody Hunanian, Program Director at Student Debt Crisis, an advocacy organization seeking to end student debt. Welcome to Forum, Cody Hunanian. Thank you so much for having me today. Very much appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. So your organization was one of many that sent a letter to President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris advocating for action on student loan cancellation. Specifically, what kind of action would you like to see and do you think is necessary right now? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And I do have to acknowledge we have uh, Ashley Harrington on today's forum uh, from the Center for Responsible Lending. They are also part of this large coalition Uh, The movement to cancel student loan debt has gone from uh, something discussed amongst a fringe of advocates and grassroots organizers to something that has become a groundswell that includes civil rights, consumer rights, and student organizations. Uh, So I'm honored to be a part of that. Uh, Student debt crisis, we are right now calling on the president-elect Joe Biden to cancel student loan debt on day one using executive action precisely because we know he has the authority and the power to do so. And during this pandemic and this unprecedented time, we need as much relief and as bold, broad action as possible. And we heard earlier from Christian Hernandez, a graduate of ITT Tech, mm-hmm. um, just about his own concerns and worries of when payments um, go back into play and the effect it would have on on his life. Can you shed some light on some of the kinds of stories and circumstances people are experiencing that you're hearing through student debt crisis? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, student debt crisis, we represent about two million people across the country with student loan debt, um, and they're constantly sharing their stories with us. You know, one person that comes to mind is Chrissy from Connecticut. Uh, Chrissy is like many Americans. There might be a COVID-19 health emergency happening across the country, but life was already happening before this pandemic. And Chrissy is a cancer survivor. She's immunocompromised. She can't leave her home for risk of dying, frankly, during this time. Uh, She told us that she has no idea how she's ever going to financially recover. And with federal student loan payments resuming after December 31st, She really has no way of supporting her family. She says she has no savings, no food for her children. So right now, this student debt crisis, this COVID-19 crisis is all colliding with what is a personal crisis for Chrissy and her family. And what's your response to a comment we have? A listener tweets, where is the personal responsibility in all this? Borrowers agreed to take these loans and used those funds. Yeah, well, you know, I think from my experience talking to borrowers every day, uh, most student loan borrowers are responsible. In fact, most student loan borrowers tell us that they want to pay back their loans, and many of them feel a great deal of shame when they can't uh, afford their payments. But the reality is, is that the system is just fundamentally broken. Even those people who want to pay back their loans are facing an uphill battle when it comes to the obstacles their student loan servicers put in front of them, and also a myriad of of other issues. You know, we talked to Ivan in California. He spends $1,200 per month on his student loan payments, but he's a gig worker, and he's completely out of work during this pandemic. This is just one of the examples of someone who wants to make their payments, but can't because of the circumstances, particularly around the pandemic. And, you know, he tells us right now he has to pay his mortgage. He has to pay utilities and food uh, to survive. And so there's a set of priorities, too, that borrowers have to consider uh, when it comes to being a responsible person, partner and a parent. Well, thank you for joining us and being able to shed some light, some more of the stories that you've been hearing um, through your work. Uh, Cody Hunanian, Program Director at Student Debt Crisis and Advocacy Organization Seeking to End Student Debt. Thanks for thanks for coming on Forum. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. And let's go to a caller now, Rini in Oakland. Hi, Rini. You're on the air. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You know, there is a story that's not really being told too much. I have a very dear friend's daughter, Mary, who's 22, just graduated from uh, nursing school. They immediately put her in the COVID ward in Missouri, and her stories are blood-curdling. 
And if we could pardon the debt, I mean, she's still paying off her school loan while she is saving lives. Well, she's not saving lives. She's zipping up body bags is what she's doing. And I think the first people in line should be our health care workers to get their loan loans expunged. I love Cody's comment. To- thanks for to- thanks for sharing your um, your comment, Rini and Danielle Douglas Gabriel. What's your reaction to to Rini's? Um, like, is there prioritization being considered in in some of these plans or anything along those lines? Well, there is actually legislation in the House that was sponsored by, I think, Carolyn Maloney uh, to uh, ensure that frontline workers would have student debt for forgiveness uh, that that hasn't really um, made its way all the way to the Senate at this point. Uh, But it is a consideration of the Democratic Party. And I think it is something that could perhaps uh, receive some bipartisan support, perhaps more so in a tweaking of the existing public service loan forgiveness platform uh, that has its share of problems as well, but um, would uh, account for some of the public uh, frontline workers who work at public institutions. Okay. And next, let's go to caller Eric in Santa Cruz. Eric, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have two questions. Um, The first one has to do with student loan interest rates. Um, I I do not understand why student loan interest rates are so high. I mean, most people that I know, and including myself, when I had loans with the federal government, were between 6 and 8%. And I know people with huge student loan burdens, trying to pay down your principal on your loan is impossible when you have such a high interest rate on, say, a you know, fifty dollars to $200,000 loan burden. It's just impossible. Um, so that's one question. I know a lot of people who have refused or who, who are reluctant to refinance with private lenders um, because of potential loan forgiveness options, but they're not able to make um, any meaningful payments on their loans because of the extremely high interest rates. And then the other question that I have is relating to uh, people who have refinanced with private lenders, um, their student loans with private lenders. What happens to those people um, that have student loan debt but you know are now paying it off with it? you know, a private bank. Right. Thanks, Eric. Ashley Harrington, do you have any insights for Eric regarding the high interest rates? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the inter- the interest rates are also governed by statute. Um, so there is a, there's a statute that determines um, that the interest rate is based on the, the treasury rate uh, plus a certain percentage and based on the type of loan that you have. But absolutely, interest is out of control, interest and fees in general. And so um, we would like to see um, lower interest rates, but also just a cap on interest in general. You shouldn't be able to just accrue unlimited interest. There are people you're, who are um, who would have long paid off way more than they ever borrowed, but their interest has exceeded that amount. And that's not okay. We have a system that is so fundamentally flawed in so many ways, and that's a perfect example of how that plays out. Um, So absolutely, the interest rates are too high, but also the ability to accrue interest um, is out of control. Um, For those, um, and we, and for people who have refinanced into private loans, um, we um, that's why we at the Center for Responsible Lending, we are very reluctant to encourage people um, to refinance into private loans. Um, it's really a personal choice you have to make and really think about um, given interest rates and given what you lose, you do lose options to some of the federal um, forgiveness programs. But there have been some proposals to also help private student loan borrowers. Um, so there have been proposals in the HEROES Act. Um, there was actually an amendment um, to NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act in the House. There have been other efforts to provide um, some level of cancellation and relief to private student loan borrowers as well. Um, so they are definitely a part of that conversation. And I think most advocates would also um, would also advocate that there be some relief for private student loan borrowers, but that would be a separate, um, separate conversation and a separate type of action um, because there is a lot that can be done for federal student loan borrowers, even by executive action. Um, we've been talking about extending that payment suspension, but you know, a lot of cancellation can be done by executive action as well. And so we are really encouraging um, the Biden administration to keep their promise on debt cancellation and not even go through Congress, but to do it by executive action. Um, for privacy loan borrowers, it will take uh, st- um, legislation and some appropriations because of how it would have to be refinanced or paid off um, through 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 the through the Treasury. But it's definitely something that is on the radar, not just for advocates, but for lawmakers as well. Well, thank you for bringing that question, Eric. 
This listener tweets, I had a ton of student debt. I paid it off because I lived in fear and found a way, but don't wish that upon anyone. ISA writes, I have student debt. I consolidated loans long ago with a private lender and federal forgiveness would not apply to me, but I still support student debt forgiveness for others and for the future. And this listener tweets, in some areas, bachelor's degrees aren't enough. I have two, and I couldn't get a job for more than $12 an hour in 2012. I had to go back and get a master's degree, and now I have $70,000 in student loan debt. So just hearing some more of these testimonies. And now we'll bring into the conversation a perspective that's a bit more critical of the calls to cancel student debt. Uh, Matthew Chingos, vice president of education data and policy at the Urban Institute. Welcome to Forum, Matthew Chingos. Thanks for having me. So you've argued that canceling student loan debt would not be a cost-effective form of stimulus, which is being you know, argued by Senator Warren and others, and specifically that Biden's proposed $10,000 debt cancellation wouldn't be. Uh, why not? Well, it depends on what you're comparing it to. If you're comparing it to nothing, right? A lot of folks are out there saying Congress isn't going to do anything. They should do this by executive action. Well, then maybe it's worth considering. But if there is an opportunity... Uh, to to do this in a more uh, careful, uh, targeted way. And if your goal is to stimulate the economy, well, then you want to write people checks that they can spend now. Whereas if you forgive their debt, that's reducing payments they may have to pay in the future. And as you know, right now, payments are canceled. The Biden administration, I expect, will extend that pause on payments. So it's not going to put more money in people's pockets uh, right now relative to, to writing them a check. But you need Congress to write those checks, which is why folks are saying, well, maybe you should do this alternative thing that's not as good by executive action. So, but it, so there could be a both and though they're right. It's just a matter of seeing if Congress would agree to that. That's right. You would need Congress to do additional forms of, of stimulus. Uh, the question with doing student loan forgiveness by executive action, a big question about is whether it's taxable or not. People are arguing about that. If it's taxable, it could actually be a negative stimulus because now you get this forgiveness, say, of $10,000 of your debt that you would have paid off over a long period of time. But now you have a big tax bill uh, on it now. So that could actually blow a hole in your finances. So that's a crucial question that people have been arguing both sides of. Right. And it would have to be under... But we can address... Sorry. Oh, is this Ashley Harrington? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but but I think... uh, Yeah, if you just want to jump in quickly, Ashley... Yeah, just we can absolutely address the tax issue as well. And I think um, for for advocates, it should never be an either or choice. That is too often the choice that we have that communities and individuals, particularly communities of colors, have been forced to make is choose between choose between these options when we know that all of these are problems, all of these are steps that need to be taken. Um, and we can absolutely address the tax issue as well. Um, and that, so none of these are reasons not to provide something we know will provide relief for a bunch of people just because there's also other things we should we should be doing. And Matthew Chingos, one of the arguments against debt cancellation policy is that it's like a regressive tax cut, right, applied uniformly regardless of income. And some are opposed to the idea of college graduates who may earn more benefiting from this kind of action. Um, do you agree with that assessment? I mean, it's not agree or disagree. I mean, it's a statement of fact that people who have uh, more student loans tend to be people with higher incomes on average. Obviously, a lot of lower income folks have student loans or struggling with those student loans. So if you forgave all the student loan debt, that would be very regressive. It's less regressive if you do a limited amount, like, say, $10,000. And policymakers like Senators Warren and Schumer, who have proposed up to $50,000 in debt, have said in their Senate resolution that action should be taken to make sure it doesn't go to the highest income borrowers. So I've seen some support out there for putting some income testing in here to try and focus the support on folks who need it the most and not make it sort of a regressive bailout for, for more affluent households. So what do you think we should do to kind of get out of not this, just this immediate crisis during the pandemic, but the long-term student loan debt crisis? I think long-term, it really has to involve the president and Congress working together. We really need to fix these problems, both going forwards, but also looking backwards. And people clearly took out loans that that shouldn't have been made. And there's a case to be made for forgiving uh, some of those loans. But I think if we can't, and as Ashley said, it has to be a both end kind of conversation. We can't just think about what to do with folks with debt now and then go back to making the same loans and the same terms tomorrow. We need to fix the system going forward so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. uh, And then also, you know, make some reparations for those mistakes that were made in the past. 
And so is there also, you think, this an argument that's kind of like go hard or go home in a sense that like debt cancellation as a whole is not effective without this bigger reform? I think the risk is if you do debt cancellation without the bigger reform, you're kind of dunking up the system, right? You're saying, okay, we're going to sort of just step in and and wipe out some debt for people. And then tomorrow they're going to wonder, well, should I take on more loans? Should I take on debt maybe I don't need? Is more forgiveness coming? If you do it in an unprincipled way. If you do it in a principled way and say, hey, we should have never made all these loans to these terrible colleges or some set of for-profit colleges or what have you, we're going to kick them out of the loan program, cancel the debts were made. Now people aren't going to try and wonder, oh, well, should I go to some terrible college? Well, I can't go get a loan there anymore. Um, but if you don't do it in that sort of principle consistent way, I worry that you would undermine um, the system going forward and potentially uh, you know, do some harm, unintentionally for sure. Um, but there's a risk of that. And Cook, I know we have to let you go in a moment, but I'm just curious about your thoughts on, I don't know if you saw the opinion piece that author Roxane Gay wrote for the New York Times last month. It was in favor of debt cancellation, and she was kind of framing it as part of a larger social contract. And she said, quote, no one benefits from everything our government does. I don't have children, but some of the money I pay in taxes goes toward education. And then she goes on to say it's part of the social contract, but that contract holds up only when we are all willing to abide by its terms. What's your reaction to that? I mean, I, I agree that we don't have to think of every policy as something that has to be for everybody. Clearly, there's a set of people that have student loans. Um, I think some of them are doing pretty well, you know, zooming from home, you know, have good incomes. Can we pay those loans? Some people were really wronged by this system. Um, you know, Ashley referenced the you know, racially disparate impacts of, of the student loan uh, issue. Um, so we know that, that uh, families of color are especially hard hit um, by the student loan crisis. Um, due to pre-existing uh, issues of uh, like the like the racial wealth gap, you know, other forms of uh, racism, both historically and uh, and today. So the way I really think about this issue is uh, we want to address it, um, but we want to go to where the real issues are within the thing. We don't need to um, treat every student loan borrower as a, as exactly the same and should be addressed with exactly the same policy. Um, we can think about tailored solutions um, that really get at the uh, most important problems in the most effective way. That's Matthew Chingos, Vice President, Education, Data and Policy at the Urban Institute. Thanks for joining us on Forum for this conversation. Thank you. We're talking about the student loan debt crisis. Also with me is Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, reporter covering economics of education for The Washington Post, and Ashley Harrington, federal advocacy director and senior policy counsel for the Center for Responsible Lending. And you, our listeners, have you or are you struggling with student loans? How are you feeling about student loan relief potentially ending in January? And do you think the government should cancel some or all of student debt? Why or why not? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll get to more of your calls and comments after the break. I'm Ariana Prail and Fermina Kim. You're listening to Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail in Fermina Kim. We're talking about student loans with Daniel Douglas-Gabriel of The Washington Post and Ashley Harrington of the Center for Responsible Lending. And let's go to caller Rosemary in San Francisco. Rosemary, you're on the air. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm interested in what's going to happen with all of us who are senior citizens. I'm 66 now on Social Security and went to undergrad and graduate school as a single parent and now owe six figures in uh, student loans. Plus, I help my son, so I have uh, another five figures to help through that. And I've been forgiven for, not forgiven, but on pause until the beginning of the year. And I'm wondering what, if anything, kind of relief will be going to those of us who will not ever be able to pay off our student loans. 
Thanks for that question, Rosemary. Uh, Daniel Douglas Gabriel, your your thoughts. It's a great concern. I, I think that there, as much as this issue has been framed around uh, the debt held by younger Americans, there are a lot of uh, older Americans who have debt themselves from their own education, as well as debt uh, that they are holding for their children or helping their children pay off. Now, certainly uh, federal loan forgiveness of 10000 would be a, of assistance to people with holding their own debt. We're a lot less clear on what that means for people with Parent PLUS loans, the federal loans that are provided to parents of college students. The Biden administration has not said anything at this point, but that doesn't mean that it's completely off the table. And I think it's something that's going to require further investigation in the coming months. And also for you, Danielle, uh, we have a comment from Andrea who writes, my son graduated from UC in June and has $30,000 of loan debt. We've been getting notices saying we need to start paying soon. If the new administration cancels student loans, how soon could that happen and how will we be notified? I know you've been mentioning this before, but I know it's the you know top of mind for, for our audience. Certainly. I mean, it's it's a little unclear on exactly how soon this could happen. You know, uh, the Biden administration wouldn't come in until the end of January. As I mentioned earlier, there's um, credible information that the Education Department is trying to instruct its loan servicers to kind of delay their notifications to slow down the uh, restarting the student loan system uh, until February, which would give the Biden administration some time to extend the moratorium by executive action if Congress fails to do so in another stimulus plan. Now, uh, you know, the hope is that that could take uh, place immediately. You know, the moratorium, when that came into effect, it did not take months or weeks for uh, student loan payments to be paused. It, it happened fairly immediately. And that is the uh, consideration that is before us that that will be the same thing here. Now, I, I wish I knew exactly when and how quickly that could happen. I know I have lots of people contacting me <laughs> asking that question, including family members. Um, but but for right now, it's, it's a little unclear. Okay. Uh, let's go to caller Jessica in Oakland. Jessica, you're on. Hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted to emphasize the benefits that I've received as a public school teacher in Oakland. Um, after graduating with a master's and credential from Cal, I, the state of California had the Apple loan forgiveness program for public school teachers to teach in um, high needs communities. And I benefited from that for the first five years of my teaching career, which helped me focus on my work not and have a little bit less stress around paying back my loans. And I've managed to stay at that same school for now the fourth, my 14th year. And I think these types of loan forgiveness programs allow for folks who want to work in communities, particularly in high-needs areas, whether it's through healthcare or mental health or teaching even, and allow them to do the work that they're passionate about with a little less um, stress and a little more comfort in knowing that the loans that took out for school is actually being supported and what the federal government. Oh, I think we lost you, Jessica. Um, but we got the, the gist of your comment. And, and Annie has a comment who writes, I have a student loan that I am paying back. It started as a $32,000 loan back in 1985. Right after graduation, I was unable to work. Due to penalties and interest, the loan amount now is over $500,000. I can never catch up to it, and I was told that I will have that loan until I die. I am now 61 years old. Loan forgiveness would help the future generation and help young graduates to get a financial footing in this economy. Ashley Harrington, can you speak to the comments we um, we heard from the caller and from from Annie um, in relation to also the proposed roadmap that you um, and your center have have put out. Absolutely. I think just it's it's heartbreaking to hear to hear the realities and to, to just once again know that these are these are very this is not and these are not anomalies, right? The situation that these callers are talking about is happening to a lot of people. So I don't want y'all to feel like y'all are alone or this is something that's just happening to you. Um, for the for the borrowers who are over 60, actually one in seven federal student loan borrowers, I think, is is over 60. Um, so there's there's a couple of things going on. It's, it's the piece that Danielle talked about. Um, it's the parent plus loans. It's the borrowing for your own education. It's the borrowing for dependents. And we absolutely agree that. Um, any cancellation should apply to all types of federal student loans, including Parent PLUS loans, and all types of income-based repayment should apply to all federal loans, including Parent PLUS loans. Um, but I think these are just um, 
these are just indications of, of just how far uh, the system has gone, far um, how messed up the system has gotten, and how um, and how much course correction we have to do. And so that's what we talk about in the report you just mentioned. We talk about not just the need for cancellation. Absolutely, there has to be broad-based cancellation. Um, even if you do fifty thousand dollars of cancellation across the board, you are still going to have a lot of people who have a lot of debt. The caller just mentioned having five hundred thousand dollars in debt after over thirty years in repayment. That's a problem. So we actually also advocate for fixing income-based repayment. There should only be one income-based repayment plan, and it should be based on 8% of your income above 250% of the poverty line, and it should have a term of 15 years. Income-based repayment shouldn't be 20 or 25 years, and no one should be in repayment for 30 or 30 or more years because they've had periods of hardship. That is actually that is antithetical to what we expect for people who go to college and have and are trying to better themselves. We want them to be able to move on and, and achieve financial security and contribute to the economy and their communities in other ways. And so many borrowers aren't able to do that. In terms of um, the garnishments that are going on of people's tax credits and social securities and, and, and wages, that, ha that has to stop as well. We have to stop this incredible collection, um, the halt the incredible collection powers of the federal government that is also keeping people from achieving financial security. And we, and we really just need to clear the books of bad debts. That $500,000 that you've been paying for 30 years shouldn't be there. People who have been in repayment for 15 years or more, people who have been on means tested benefits for three, year, three years or more, for instance, or people um, who have been in default for three years or more. We should be clearing those books. Other companies, other lenders would be looking at these debts and saying, why are we still collecting on these? We know that most of these debts will not be paid back. Why are we spending money, money servicing these loans? Why are we spending money to private collectors to collect and harass our, to harass borrowers for these for this money when we could when all of these resources the resources of the federal government the individual resources could be better spent in so many more productive ways we need a fundamental rethinking of how our student loan system functions and we need to get back to this idea of higher education is a public good when we first had the higher education act the basis of it wasn't loans it was grants for low-income students and students of color it was this idea of opening up access and opportunity and we have gone completely to the left of that in in the current situation where so many people have to borrow and struggle under this debt for so many years. It's not sustainable for them, it's not sustainable for the, their communities, and it's not sustainable for the economy. Uh, let's. Well, we have a commenter to here who writes, I had $60,000 of student debt and it took 20 years to pay off. Will that be rebated to me as part of the forgiveness? If not, why the distinction? I have good uses for that money. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, do you have thoughts? Uh, to my knowledge, it would not be rebated. This, the cancellation at policy proposals that are on the table are for people who currently have existing debt. And certainly, you know, the caller raises an argument that many people have raised about the fairness, right, for the folks who have paid off their loans, that this is unfair because they had to certainly um, find a way in order to pay off that debt. Uh, but, you know, the, the kind of counter argument there is that kind of as you mentioned earlier with the Roxanne Gay article is that there are many programs of which all of us will not benefit uh, but are still largely beneficial to the society uh, as a, on the whole and so that's kind of where we're where we are with thinking about how these policies benefit people um, that may not be us in this in this respect and how it may benefit the economy in the long run and what it goes towards uh, lending a hand towards uh, greater equity for, for folks who are in this, this situation in part because they don't have the wealth and the resources needed to finance their education in any meaningful way. We did hear from Secretary, the current or outgoing Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, on Tuesday at a 2020 the 2020 Federal Student Aid Virtual Training Conference making kind of some forceful comments um, about student debt. Here she is. We've heard shrill calls to cancel, to forgive, to make it all free. Any innocuous label out there can't obfuscate what it really is. Wrong. She also added the truly insidious notion of government gift giving. Um, Ashley Harrington, what's your reaction to DeVos's comments this week? Well, first, let's be clear. The government, the federal government has done this quote unquote gift giving many, many times in the past. It's just that now when it will disproportionately benefit borrowers of color, black and Latino borrowers, now there's an issue. Let's go back to when the federal government literally gave people land 
for their homes. They gave them they gave them down payments. They gave them the GI bill, and that also didn't get to to get to borrowers of color, right? So we have a history in this country of actually very much supporting people's economic opportunity. It just happens that it's often white people who get that support and not people of color. And the reason why we're in a situation now where black and brown borrowers are struggling the most is because they never got that support from the very beginning. So we have a history of this. And the history goes on to this day. Let's think about the Paycheck Protection Program that's going on that we're dealing with right now that disproportionately went to larger, wealthier, white, often white businesses. And that was supposed to be a lifeline for relief that turned into small business grant program that went to larger companies, right? So this is not, this is not something new that the federal government is doing. It's just that now when it's when it would when it would impact a different set of problems, a different set of people, we're having a different conversation. I think we should all be concerned about that. And and remember that again, this is a course correction. We're asking for cancellation because the federal government and we have allowed this to get out of control. We have been doing this wrong for a very long time. Um, and that is everything from student debt to also the other pieces that have contributed to and reinforced the racial wealth gap. So there is a lot to be done, including cancellation of student debt. And the idea that this is something new is just is just a false idea. Getting some more comments from listeners. Marilee writes, when when will we as a country start to look at educating our young people as an investment rather than an expense? It is shameful to saddle these kids with a lifetime of debt. It affects our economy because they can't afford to marry, get a house, buy furniture, etc. Another listener writes, while these work while those working full time in certain sectors can have loans forgiven, those of us who are disabled and either unable to work at all or unable to work full time are shut out of this program. This, in a word, is ableist. And Jim writes, I'm totally against any blanket policy that cancels student loans. That would be a free ride on my taxes. I paid for my education. There should still be accountability for those who took out the loans. I would only support relief if it is based on proof of need. Again, we've been talking about student loan debt crisis and potential proposals to help ease it, particularly during the pandemic. Uh, We're joined by Daniel Douglas Gabriel with The Washington Post, Ashley Harrington at the Center for Responsible Lending, and I'm Ariana Prail. This is Forum. Let's go to the next caller, Mariah in Novato. Mariah, you're on there. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have really just a comment about the Pell Grant and the stipulations that were put on it. I think, was it 2012 or 2010, where they capped off the amount of time that you can receive the Pell Grant. And this greatly affected me because, um, try to, uh, long story short, 20 years ago, I was tracked to a dental assisting program because I was a teen mom, a first-generation college student, and then I spent another year hoping to finish college with very little support and direction, so I sort of messed up. Fast forward 20 years, I finally got uh, finished community college, transferring to San Francisco State, and going into social work, and all of a sudden, uh, the two years of the Pell Grant that, that I really was going to depend on as a single mom again was cut off, and I had to take these loans that now, six years out of college, I haven't been able to to pay back. I got my dream job a year, like, I've been, I, I was affected by COVID with my dream job, so now I'm unemployed, decided to go back, and I'm applying for grad school because that's, I think that's my only shot, because with an undergraduate degree, it's worth, it's like having a high school diploma. So I guess my thought, my comment is, our question is, what about the Pell Grant? What about extending that? And, and or, or just going back to before, if you qualify, you get it. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, do you have any insights? Sure. So there are efforts underway uh, in Congress right now to lift those term limits uh, because of exactly the kind of situation that your caller uh, just raised about how, you know, people's path through higher education isn't always linear. And and there are lots of starts and stops, especially for lower income students who benefit from the program. So we have to be more uh, considerate of that. There are also efforts underway. And uh, President-elect Biden has certainly called for this, the doubling of the Pell Grant. Pell has not kept pace with the rate of inflation. It certainly hasn't kept pace with uh, the cost of college. 
there was a point in the 70s where uh, the Pell Grant, actually up until the 80s, the Pell Grant covered about 75% of the cost of public education. It no longer does that, even for in-state students, and in some cases, even at community colleges. So that is a critical component of any kind of reimagining of the higher education system that is in constant discussion and under consideration right now. I have a comment from Angie who writes, I think there should be lower interest rates or no interest for federal student loans, but it seems irresponsible to take on more debt than you can handle. My daughter is a senior in high school, and we are probably sending her to community college for two years in order to keep her school debt down. Ashley Harrington, I mean, that does bring up some of these questions just around the opportunities that people kind of then begin parsing in in that kind of environment. Can you speak a little bit to what Angie's mentioning? Yeah, I mean, I think this is really the cash 22, right? So it's, we're, we're acting as if it's a choice to go to school and to take on this debt. Um, I think we have to remember that the majority of jobs since the Great Recession and more majority of jobs in general have gone to people with co- with some form of post-secondary education, some form of, of, of college degree, right? And so the, uh, you know, higher education, the job market, the labor market, all of these things look very different than they did um, 30 or 40 years ago. And so we have to remember that. So it's one thing to say, um, oh, you shouldn't take out all that debt. But if you have to go to school to get a better job, to get that better income, but the only way you can go to school is, is to take out debt because the Pell Grant hasn't kept up with inflation, because state budgets have been cut since the Great Recession and, and we're not investing in, in, in public higher education the way that we should, because we have not addressed the racial wealth gap. Because of all those things, you, you, you're, you're putting people between a rock and a hard place. Either don't go to school and don't take on debt and then not be able to access, access more opportunity and, more, and access to higher income, or do that and have to take on all this debt and a struggle and repayment, and then we now blame you for having to take out that debt. This doesn't make sense. These right. two things are constantly in conflict with each other, and it's, it, it's just divorced from reality. We have to remember the reality that we live in, where we have created a system where you have to go to more and more school to succeed, and we've also created a system where you have to pay more and more for that for that school to succeed. These and, two things oh, are... Sorry, and just- wanted to wrap up um, and I wanted to get one final comment from Daniel Douglas Gabriel as well. Just in 10 seconds, when do you think we'll really start to see some more of this clarity? Do you think it'll come before the end of the year in terms of what's going to be happening come January? I wish it would. I doubt it. I really am thinking that we're not going to get a bit more clarity until the new year. And that's going to keep a lot of people really concerned. So I'm hoping that things will change before then. That's Danielle Douglas-Gabriel with The Washington Post, Ashley Harrington, Senator for Responsible Lending. I'm Ariana Prail. This has been Forum. Thanks for joining us. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.